Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Have you checked out the big podcast with Shaq here at Podcast One? Yeah, we talk basketball, but we're a lot more than just sports. I met this fabulous lady. She had to be in her 70s, knew everything about me, knew everything about sports. And the last thing she says, I love your podcast. And I'm wow. Like, oh, man. But I hate that John <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's terrible. Listen free to the big podcast with Shaq exclusively on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and the Podcast One app. If you love the show, share it with a friend and leave us a rating and review. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Danny Wu, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the return of the Tears podcast and ended up doing something really cool for this one. The idea came about a week, week and a half ago to do the first Tears podcast of the regular season with the person I did the preseason Tears podcast with. Now it's Matt Moore of the Action Sports Network. And it was fun. We used the same criteria that we tweaked, each tweaked it a little bit in our own way. But the idea of doing full league as opposed to conference by conference and focusing more on team quality, not who's playing the best right now, but who has the best team. And as you would guess, gets into a lot of really fascinating discussions, differences of philosophy, how we're interpreting what we have seen so far, lots of just interesting stuff on on all 30 teams. That really is part of the fun of the Tears podcast is thinking about this as as a grand whole. And this episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use that podcast one promo code for a 50% signup bonus. Simple contacts, simplecontacts.com slash realgm20 or Real Gym 20 at checkout for $20 off your order, which is awesome. And True Car, great place to buy new and used cars. This episode runs about an hour and a half. It generally takes that long to cover that much ground and really enjoyed it. Hope you will too. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I love being on this podcast. I'm I'm really excited to be on this one again. And I'm excited that we're doing, you know, I think of this as the, the companion piece to the one that we did before the season started because we're using the same concept of going through the whole league in terms of tiers and going more, focusing more on team quality rather than like how they've been so far, which I think, especially when you're 20 games in, we're still figuring out, you know, like what is real and what isn't. I think that's a healthier way of doing it. I will admit at the beginning that there were cer- I-, I was having some trouble in my own head reconciling some of the teams that have been injured and how I want to fit that in, but I went more towards full-strength iterations of teams unless there was some sort of reason that I wasn't expecting that moving forward. So, like, for example, Alfred Payton, I kind of thought that I-, I used him as being somebody who- who's going to be around a little bit more for the Pels. We'll talk about them at some point. Is that kind of the way you saw it? it- there isn't a right or wrong answer here, but is that is that kind of the way you did it more, like, team quality at full strength or closer to it? Yeah, for the most part. And I, I think also, though, um, what winds up happening with me a lot is, one, I gain a lot from how teams perform when guys are injured, and I, I actually kind of reject a lot of the narratives that are built online because it's an easy thing for fans to do, which is, well, sure, we're struggling, but so-and-so's out, and when he gets back, and it's like, look, your team is 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 an organism that functions in a certain way, and one player is not going to fundamentally change the identity of who you are. It will probably make your strengths better, 
and improve your weaknesses a little, but your weaknesses are still going to be weaknesses and your strengths are still going to be strengths. And so we, we, I think like, um, the Pelicans are a good example of this where, you know, when Alfred Payton gets back, he's going to give them another, another ball handler that can produce and, and take some of the, the strain off of Drew and hold up some of the bench units, which is really important. So, so the way that they absolutely just go to pieces when Davis is off the floor. Um, it's still going to be evident, but maybe not as much so. But their big key issue is their defense. And so is Alfred Payton going to immediately transform them into where they need to be, which is at least 15th in the middle range of defensive teams? Probably not. And so um, – and this goes across the board. There's very few players. There are exceptions, right? Like if, if Rudy Gobert is out for the Jazz, I'm going to make allowances because their team identity is built on defense. But for the most part, I tend to look at injuries more in the vein of – you know, it hurts your win-loss record. It doesn't necessarily create problems that aren't there. It only exacerbates them. Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. And another way is that when the injury is to somebody, let's say, four through six in the rotation, so not one of a team's best players, it, in terms of expected value, that's kind of a fair thing to to expect. It's not like those players stay healthy for an entire year. And as you said with right. Alfred Payton, if your team goes to pieces when your fourth or fifth best player is out, that illustrates some problems that are fair to to work with because like I mean this happened a little bit when Cody Zeller was out for the Hornets a couple of years ago and granted there there are some different things about that and suitability of replacements but if you can't survive that kind of an absence then your team isn't particularly robust and that is a concern especially since we're so early in the season this isn't like we're projecting the playoffs would start tomorrow. We're thinking about team quality, and so all of these things do matter a little bit. So that's that's another fair point worth bringing up to me is that if if you are dependent on players all the way that far down the line, well, I mean, there's no guarantee that they're going to be good. Right, and like the Raptors are still the number one team in the Eastern Conference despite Kawhi Leonard having missed a bunch of games for rest. Uh, the Denver Nuggets are still the best team in the Western Conference and win-loss total despite losing Will Barton in the third game of the season and having Gary Harris miss uh, up to, what, I think four and a half games now. So these are and, – and they've been without Isaiah Thomas the entire time and Jared Vanderbilt, a rookie that they think is very promising the entire time that gives them more depth, um, and Michael Porter Jr., their first-round pick. Like the Nuggets have an injury report that – Essentially, I think would put up probably a 111 offensive rating as a unit. So, like, you know, when you say like, oh, well, but we we have injuries. Like, everybody's got injuries, man. Like, I I get it. I'm sympathetic to it. It's a it sucks, but that's part of it. And your team structure uh, is driven by so much more than just individual pieces. Usually, it's built around key components. But it's an organism that has its own identity, and a lot of that gets into how you play, how you're coached and what level of talent your overall team is and how they play together. Agreed completely. And just as a rundown for people, if there's anybody new to to Shears podcast, welcome. The way, the way that I like to think about it is that teams within a tier are more are bunched more closely than teams outside of it. So let's say you have a group of three teams in a tier. I'm generally not going to be super surprised if those end up in different orders because they're all somewhat close. And then, but I, I will be more surprised if a team jumps up or down a tier because that that's where the lines are. And there are some where it's fuzzy and I'll acknowledge where those are, but that's really the idea for me. And 
I'm going to actually, I haven't gone back to re-listen to the podcast we did, though I have some notes from it. And, but I think the first question I asked was, do you have the Warriors in a tier by themselves? So I think that's a good place to start. I do. I still have them in a tier by themselves, which is really frustrating for those of us that love the regular season and love, you know, the, the whole journey and watching the season play out. And you see how well and how hard these teams are playing. Like, there's always part of me that's kind of sad that we don't have intermittent championship breaks. Like, just to be like, but God, like, the Raptors and Nuggets are playing so well right now. And like, it's just not going to matter and that sucks because they put a lot into being really good right now and the bucks are the same way and they won't be the same team in april and that's a bummer but at the same time that's not how the structure is and so look golden state is still when healthy and when engaged when at their best they are the best team in the league and it's not considerably close and part of that is is also um despite his rough outing versus detroit curry got back to flirting with 2016 version which he hasn't done since Durant arrived. Uh, we haven't seen 2016 Curry since he suffered the the knee injury in round one versus the Rockets in 2016. So when he, he was on pace for 500 threes, which is just a ridiculous, laughable number, and she, and averaging five per game, that changes fundamentally you know, how good they are and, and how tough it is to beat them. I don't know if anybody can get close when Curry's playing like that, and we'll see what that looks like going forward. There are obviously issues with this team. That's maybe the, the interesting thing about it is no one would be surprised if you said no the Warriors actually blew up like in February it just came to a head and things just got untenable that's not a scenario that everybody would be like what they'd be like oh wow it actually happened that's plausible it's not likely but it's plausible and there are problems and their bench is bad their bench is legitimately bad and a year and a half ago and when they got when they had that summer and it was like they got Nick Young and they got Omri Caspi and we were all like oh my god the Warriors got even better and then we actually saw them and it was like man they they hated Caspi because he wouldn't play through injury and Nick Young is still Nick Young um, and all these things and it was really like oh no like their bench is, is not great like David West's a year older Sean's a year a year older and now it's even worse now really it's just like hey can the big four carry them as far as they need to go with Iguodala giving them spot minutes here and there. And you still think yes, which is a testament to how incredible that, that starting unit is. Uh, but they're, this team is not perfect. This team is not invincible. This team is not a juggernaut, which I thought they might be, and it looked like they were kind of starting to touch for a while. They can get back there, but they're still very much the best team in the league. Yeah, I, I think that the other reason that the Warriors are separated from some of the other teams on this list, and I mean, a lot of a lot of franchises are having great years, is that it isn't in the abstract to say, oh, well, what happens if they turn it on? Because they've done it. You know, this, with a largely similar team, they, you know, the regular season effort on defense went up another level there. I think they're like 14th or something right now in defense. They can be way better. And then, you know, when Steph Curry's been on the floor, the Warriors have a one 117.6 offensive rating. They're outscoring teams by 13 points per 100 possessions. They're going to have, presumably have him on the floor for a higher proportion of the remaining season than they have so far. He's played less than half, I think, not less than half, but around half of the team's minutes. And 
I don't, and it's it's funny that we can talk about all this stuff, and Demarcus Cousins doesn't really factor in too much because the the thing is he is a value add, meaning they don't have to play him if it doesn't work. Granted, that's right. easier said than done because you know he took made the decision to sign there, and we'll see what happens when he is is available to play. Now, Damian Jones having a torn pectoral muscle might open that up a little bit more in terms of bringing him back on a different timetable. We don't know yet, but generally speaking, the Warriors are exceedingly cautious when there isn't a reason to be aggressive and there is no reason to be aggressive here. So yeah, I have them in their own tier as well. And then I think actually there's an argument to be made that the most interesting differentiator that I had while building my list this time around was separating out the next group. And so the next group is, so the way that I ended up doing it, I don't always title my tiers, but I did this time around. And it was again on the championship kind of idea. And so what it was, was teams that I thought had a reasonable shot and then teams that I thought could do it. So like you could make an argument, okay, they're going to figure it out. The pieces are here. Maybe it's through slight upgrades, you know, like by the buyout market, but then teams that basically as they are right now, I think have a good shot. And so that's what led me to the split. And so I have the Raptors and Bucks ahead of the Rockets, Celtics, and Sixers. And so basically for me, those are the teams that if you said at the end of the year, they won the championship, I would be something other than floored. And because they have the talent, they have individual guys, they can scale it. But I would be less surprised for the Raptors and Bucks than I would be at this point for the Rockets, Celts, and Sixers. That's a really interesting rubric um, for for putting the list together. And I like it. Uh, I think... So like it's basically what we're doing now. We're we're placing we're placing teams in tiers of the sh- the shock value of them winning the title, which I think is is kind of a good way to think about it. Like of how surprised would you be if this team were to accomplish the highest goal? Or and and it's relative, right on down, where it's like, all right, I wouldn't be shocked if they made a conference final. Like with the Warriors, like I would not be surprised at all if they made if they won the title. With the teams that you listed in your second tier. You wouldn't be surprised at all if they made the conference finals. That wouldn't shock you at all. Mine's a little bit different, and mine factors in a little bit more regular regular season success, and here's why. There are a lot of teams right now, and we're doing this at a really great time to do this podcast, and I, I can't wait to revisit this with you later in the season when things stabilize because we're right at the threshold. Of when teams that have, that were supposed to be good and struggled are now reaching the point of no return where it's either, okay, had a rough start, worked our way out of it. We're going to be fine. Or you know what? It just didn't come together that year. They were supposed to be really good and just, it just never came together. It was just one of those years. And a lot of time how that works out is you struggle early and then the injuries hit. Like some teams have already gotten those injury problems. The Thunder are a great example of this where they lost Russ to start the season and were terrible and everyone's like, oh man, OKC, I don't know, man, OKC. And I was one of them. I was like, they can't defend. If they can't defend, this team is sunk. And now they got Russ healthy and I want to get to him in a second, but they got Russ healthy and they're playing so well. They've worked past it and and they've they're okay now. But there are teams like if Boston gets hit with a significant injury, that could really hurt them. Utah, I think, is even in a bigger place. Gobert has missed time the last two seasons. If they get hit with a Gobert injury, as much as I've kind of made the point this season that Gobert's a little overrated by both the analytics crowd um, and in particular Utah fans. But if Gobert gets hurt, that may be it for them. I don't know if they can pull out of it. I don't think this team is good enough for them to to get to pull out of it and get back into 45 to 50 win range. So my second tier is more based off of teams that have already cashed credit. They could win a title. 
Um, and it wouldn't completely shock me. Some of these teams, it's shocking that, that I would say that about, but they're playing at such a high level. Um, and they've earned it. I, what's interesting, I think to me also is that I realized that outside of the Warriors standing, I don't have a single team that I feel really confident in, in a playoff environment that I'm like, Oh, come playoff time. They're going to be fine. Not well, Boston. Yeah. yeah. Not Boston. Not Philly. Not Utah. Not Houston. Nobody. There's nobody I feel great about. So my, so when I, when, and when you take that out because of the way that they performed and the issues that you have all over the board, then the regular season success starts to matter a little bit more because you don't have that credit. Because I'm like, you don't look like the team I thought you were going to. So I can't believe you're going to perform in a playoff environment. So that's why my second tier actually excludes a lot of the teams that you have in that in your second tier. My second tier is four teams, and it's the Raptors, the Nuggets, the Bucks, and the Thunder. And those are four teams that have quality SRS by uh, basketball reference, which factors point differential versus strength of schedule, that have excellent net ratings, uh, that have good to great uh, win-loss records, and have signature wins all over the place. I look a lot at win profile. Who do you lose to? Who do you beat? And all of those teams have beaten legitimately great teams. Um, you'll notice that the uh, that the Nuggets and the, and the Bucks have both beaten Golden State, and that that's – like that's a signature win for them. The Nuggets have beaten almost everybody. They, their signature win profile is excellent. The only top team really that they haven't beaten is Milwaukee, who beat them twice. So the Raptors, the Nuggets, and the Bucks, and the Thunder, and their people listening will be like, "Come on, you would be shocked if any of those teams if those teams won the title." And my answer is not based off of what we've seen so far, and because I treat every season as kind of an organism unto itself, with some pre-existing factors like Golden State is a juggernaut. They've done the work. I can't punish teams if they've done the work and so th those teams to me have proven it and that's why they're all in my second tier the point about having you know trusting teams in the playoffs is, is a really interesting one because i think the bucks are a great example here the bucks have been spectacular overall in this regular season they've been shakier their defense has gotten worse over the last you know after that crazy run at the beginning of the year and a lot of that is teams hitting more threes so i think that's a regression to the mean where they were insanely fortunate and now they're unfortunate so that'll balance back and then they'll be you know a pretty good defense not insane like they were at the beginning of the year and but the way they played against against the Celtics where the their defense like their foibles just got attacked really aggressively that's a, a concern there and then the Raptors I mean you have these kind of two games so they beat the Warriors and they lost to the Nuggets and in both of those games other than Kawhi just getting his at certain moments and that can be enough I worry about their late game offense because as teams tighten up as you get better defensive talent that could be a concern, but the reason why, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be, I actually personally wouldn't be shocked if Toronto or Boston, sorry, not Toronto or Milwaukee won a title, because I think they could, with their talent, both of those teams have already been very good, and I think there's more to it. And so the, I agree with you that the Nuggets, I mean, if we're going on your premise of the regular season being an organism, the Nuggets and Thunder have really great resumes, and OKC, I, I, I think that people are maybe understating how good of a regular season team, how great of a regular season team this is because yes. their defense is fantastic. It travels well. They can, I mean, I don't know how much of, I didn't watch a ton of the Pistons game. I don't know how much of it you watch, but they just stifled the hell out of that team. And OKC can do that against just about anybody. And I have concerns about their offense against the best of the best, but you don't play the best of the best that often in the regular season. So OKC, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they end up with the two seed. There are little trends with all the four of the teams I listed that are 
really interesting to think about in a playoff context because I have skepticism about all of them. I said, like, I wanted to open with that, right? Is to say, look, I don't feel like, I don't feel confident in these teams. If you told me, here's what's crazy. So I listed these teams as if, you, if they, they could win the title and I wouldn't be shocked. You can tell me the Raptors, the Nuggets, the Bucks, and the Thunder lost in the first round and I also would not be shocked. I would just be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, all of the fears that we have about Toronto and who they are as an identity with their with their core roster outside of the two additions, that all comes back to haunt them. Milwaukee, you know what? Team just went under the screen and contained Giannis and were able to play and were able to run off the shooters and that was enough. And like they just weren't able to produce the offense that they needed. The Nuggets, like, hey, Jokic can't handle the double team and they took away the back cuts and that really wound up hurting them. And you know, Denver's defense wasn't as real as we thought as as it looked. And with OKC, it's you know, same deal where they don't have enough shooters and Russ can't do it all on his own. But what's interesting is there are a little counter to this. So the Boston game for Milwaukee, I think, really was painful, and it still stands out as a as a this is a, a huge red flag. However, what people do f- kind of miss, I think, is it's not just if there's a solution to your team formula; it's whether or not the opponent can and will execute it. So I, I've been hammering this over and over and over again. Utah is solvable. They're an extremely solvable team. You drop the big to contain Gobert. You stay home on Ingles. And you make Rubio shoot. You do those three things, and you are going to be in a really great position most of the time because you're forcing Donovan Mitchell at a very young age, and now he's injury. He's kind of banged up this year to basically carry them, and he can. But your odds are pretty good in that situation. That if you're good, if you're a really good team, you can you can do it. There are teams that aren't solvable, but you have to be able to solve it. And OKC last year, for whatever reason, was not able to solve that very easy equation. With Utah, so with Boston, with Milwaukee, rather, if they get into a playoff, when they reach the playoffs, because they're going to make the playoffs, obviously, what if they don't play Boston? What if Philly, what if Philly and Boston play, and Philly figure something out with Jimmy Butler, and that's what does them in? Or Boston, because of their struggles, winds up in Toronto's bracket, and they've had issues with Toronto the last couple of seasons, and now it's even more so because of Kawhi. If they don't have to play Boston, who is able to execute that scheme? They might be in a position where another team doesn't or is unable to do the right things versus Milwaukee to beat them the way Boston did. So you have to have all of these combinations um, to make it work. You mentioned OKC. There's two really interesting, I think, elements with them. One, I'm about to dig into this. They're coming to Denver next week, so I'm starting a deep dive on them. I'm finishing up the Lakers today, and then I'm starting on OKC. But one of the trends that I've started that I've started noticing when I just started doing film and, and looking at the stats, there's really strong signs that Russ is having is a is having an adaptive season. And what I mean by that is he's not just doing the same stuff he's done for the last two years. His at-rim percentage is way up. He is shooting the highest two-point percentage of his career. He's shooting the lowest three-point percentage of his career, but he's shooting the highest two-point. He's finishing at the rim, and that's been a killer for them that he does all the the crazy, super explosive work to get to the rim – but then he front he, he bangs it off of the front of the rim because he's going so fast. He's playing so hard essentially that he misses the layup. That's not happening so far. And his assist rates up. Um, he's he's producing more quality looks with a little bit less of a usage rate. These are really positive signs. That's more sustainable. This is a better formula than what he had last year when they struggled early offensively and Melo and George just told him, hey, just go do you and we'll figure it out later. I always thought that was a bad approach because in order for them to be the best they can be, Russ is going to have to adapt and and be a, a new version of Russell Westbrook. There are little signs that he's getting there. And the second, like you mentioned the defense, 
among all centers playing at least 20 minutes per game, Steven Adams is the only center with a sub-100 defensive rating. Adams' performance this year is Defensive Player of the Year worthy, and he is one of the most impactful players in the NBA right now that's not a superstar. So like, I think OKC's formula is really, really good. And then Denver, I just think, look, uh, if the defense holds, which I was skeptical it would hold two weeks, we're a month in. We're about to be six weeks. We're about to be two months in. That's There's real signs that this is legit, that they actually have turned a corner. They've got great depth. They're going to get Will Barton back. They're going to get Isaiah Thomas back, and those things can cause problems. But I think there's a real sense that – I'll say this too. Talking to opposing – or not opposing, but writers that have come in um, for with opponents, like when Golden State was here, a lot of the guys from Golden State were like, man, there's a real 2015 vibe around this team. Like there's a vibe around Denver that's – very different, and I'm cautious about that because that doesn't always hold and injuries, et cetera, or just you fade like the Hawks did in 2015. But the vibe is there, and I think that's really promising in a very ephemeral way versus maybe more of a concrete. And I think we're also seeing with Denver how an ecosystem is really important. I think Millsap defensively has made a big difference for them, and Jokic is also way better, which is which yeah. is important too. And remember, they've been doing this. Gary Harris has missed time due to a couple different ailments. We still don't know what's going on as we're recording this with his groin. Hopefully he's okay because, you know, they need everybody they can. And, you know, offensively, I think most people who, who watch these things buy in. And But the question is, can they hold their own defensively? And there have been teams in this mold over the last couple of years, Denver included, over the last couple of years. And you know, I don't think they're necessarily going to retain at, I, I think there's something like third right now. I don't think they're going to be necessarily at that level, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if they're top 10, if they're maybe yeah. like somewhere around five, six, and that's more than good enough. You know, that, yeah. that, that gets you, that gets you into this mix and Denver yeah, and, and they have, they have these good wins. They also have a significant home court advantage because of, uh, this is something that friend of the podcast, Arturo Galetti has looked into in the two teams that have a meaningful home court advantage, irrespective of team quality are the Denver Nuggets, number one, and the Utah Jazz, number two, because those are the two teams, not coincidentally, that play at the highest elevations. So that means when teams come into Denver, they're going to be gas and all that. And I mean, Denver has, if they can stay healthy, they have all uh, healthy with the guys that they haven't already lost, then they should be fine. And I, yeah, I'm really excited. And I've enjoyed watching them game in, game out. Jokic is, has really even taken it to another level this year. But something I wanted to ask you, because you, you're closer to the Nuggets, you watch them more than I do. I got some crap from some people for putting Millsap in the consideration. I didn't even put him on an all-NBA team, but I thought that his impact defensively warranted that sort of inclusion. Do you think that was fair, or is that overstating what he has done so far? He deserves consideration. The offensive numbers, actually, go take a look. Um, part of what's really crazy with, with Timber, uh, Jokic and Millsap are playing sub-30 minutes. That's how much depth they have. That's how good the bench has been. They haven't – those guys are playing under 30 minutes. When you look at their per 100s, you're like, holy crap. Millsap's actually ha- got right now the highest effective field goal percentage of his career. Or he did until last night, rather, when he missed a bunch of shots. His shooting went into an absolute ditch to start the year and then came out of it red freaking hot. I think he absolutely deserves consideration. I don't think he, he – I don't think he gets it, but he's he's among those players right now – where and it's just real the conference stuff is so funny where you know he was a, a four-time all-star in the eastern conference and it's just like man there's no way he gets a, he gets a 
an all-star nod, even back in his prime in the Western Conference because of how tough it is. And it's just crazy how, how much that differential matters. But I definitely think that he deserves consideration. He's among those players that – like he's like Mike Conley's not going to make All NBA, and Mike Conley's a guy that that definitely deserves All NBA consideration year in and year out when he's healthy. Um, Millsap, I think, is the same way. There's there's similar players, honestly. Um, his defense has been absolutely just massive. He's just when you go back and you watch. Millsap's a guy that makes so many rotations on a single play. Um, he's not just making one good play. He's not just making, oh, that was a really smart strip or a good, you know, really good anticipation or a great challenge at the rim. It's rotate, switch, rotate, extra rotation, get back, you know, switch back. Oh, rotate one more time, help at the rim, rebound. I mean, it's just, it's incredible what he's done. Um, and it's cool to see because he was, that's a guy that loves the game more than most in the NBA. Like he, he is for me a top five guy in terms of love for the game. He, that's what he does. Like he just balls. That's what Millsap does. Um, so I definitely think that he, he deserves consideration and the impact. A lot of Jokic's defensive performance and, and his defensive rating is due to Millsap. Uh, Jokic deserves credit for not being a drag, for putting in the necessary effort, but Millsap is the core of the defense for the starting unit, the way that Mason Plumley is, unbelievably, for the second unit, uh, and he definitely deserves consideration for All-NBA. That I agree with. Can we give like 30 seconds of appreciation to Juancho Hernan Gomez? Because he has been another important part of that this year. I mean, coming in and being their fifth starter with Will Barton out, I think he's been huge for them. It's It's crazy because what happened last year, he gets mono. And then he gets an injury trying to get back from mono, and then he finally gets back, and it's like the organization itself. Like people inside the team were like, man, we don't know. Like we just don't know if Wancho's going to turn out. Like we like him, but great guy, but we just don't know if this is going to turn out. Like they had questions about his work ethic, and I kept being like, guys, he's got mono. Like you just got you got to scrap the year. The year is gone. He had mono. Give him a year. He gets a he gets a whole year to get back because that's a, that is literally a disease. Which its primary effect is long-term fatigue, <laughs> the hardest thing in the NBA to play through. You know, like it's just impossible. And so coming into this year, I was like, I think Wancho can play. And I was like, I don't know. And then he he started, you know, he started hitting threes off the bench. And then when Barton went down and Craig struggled, everybody was like, Oh, you got to start Wancho. He's awesome. And now I actually think Wancho's maybe a little overrated, just because everybody thinks that he's he's you know, it's like, look, there are, there are problems with Wancho. Like he he's really bad at recognizing back cuts. He over pursues things. He's a lot like a he, he's kind of a Labrador retriever. Like he's a golden retriever where he's just super excited and just like really happy to be there and wants to play and, and super lovable, but also makes a ton of mistakes. Uh, what's been great, I think, for, for Denver is that Tory Craig has given them specific spots where he's come in and made a big impact. Wancho's had a huge number of games where he hits corner threes and just that spacing with Jokic means that their offense is going to cook. You put a spacer around uh, around Jokic in that spot, you're going to cook offensively. And then Malik Beasley has been phenomenal. I'm actually I'm actually of the opinion that Beasley is the one that needs to be starting. Beasley, I think, is the best two-way player among the remaining three-man wings of, of Craig, Wancho, and Beasley. But Wancho, I think, coming back from, from the mono and, and doing this and the way that he's loved by fans, I think it's a really great story. Lots more teams to go through with Matt Moore, but I want to take a moment to tell you about our friends at betonline.ag. It's the holiday season and excitement in the NFL and NBA continues on. Teams are making their push for the final stretch of the NFL season as we get closer and closer to the playoffs, and only one place gets you right in the action, and that is with the exclusive partners of Podcast One Sportsnet, betonline.ag. Use the promo code PODCAST1 for your 50% sign-up bonus today. It's a great week in, in both the NFL and the NBA. You have 
Rams-Bears, which is the Sunday night game, and Philly-Dallas going on as well. And then Golden State-Milwaukee is going to be exciting. Should be both teams close to full strength, not at full strength, but excited to see that moving forward. And you can make both those games or whatever else you're watching more interesting with betonline.ag. You can go online or use your mobile phone to sign up today, and you can try in-game live betting where you can participate with all the action with every play. Use the promo code PODCAST1 for the 50% sign-up bonus. Get your holiday shopping done early with their refer-a-friend promotion. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. So your tier two was Raptors, Nuggets, Bucks, and Thunder, correct? Yes. Do you want to lay out your next one? Yep. It's a three-team tier of teams that we expected to be better, and they haven't been, but they still could be. And that's based off of a general collective because there's some there was some dissent with all these these teams. It's the Sixers, the Celtics, and the Lakers, um, three iconic franchises. The Sixers, I think, are, are maybe the outlier here in that I expected them to be a little bit worse, and they were worse. And then they got Jimmy Butler, and that's just changed fundamentally the, the thing on their team. I did a big M, uh, MVP breakdown for Action Network yesterday, and in talking about Embiid, one thing I noted was the biggest differential since Butler has gotten there has actually not been how they performed with those two together. It's that when Embiid sits, the team no longer goes to shit. Like that's a big deal. Like they just the Sixers are still able to stay above water because Butler hits enough tough shots for you to be okay. Not great, but okay. And together, they're obviously really good, and Butler's hitting these clutch shots at the end of games. Butler fundamentally changes what their ceiling is. The Sixers are headed towards this top tier, right? Like They're on their way. Boston, I think, in, in the same sense starting to get it together like they're they've their last week or so has been really promising maybe they've turned a corner i think there's a lot of tentativeness with boston fans because every time they think that they've turned the corner they've backslid there are real problems with boston it hasn't gone the way that they thought it would um they are not the team that they had hoped to be at least not yet uh it turns out plug and play is a little bit harder and i think that this has been a really challenging and rough year for Brad Stevens so far. It's been two months, but this has been, I think, really a tough year for a guy that has received so much praise. And it kind of shows, like, this is hard. And coaching really talented teams is much different than coaching plucky underdog tryhards. They're just different things to do. But Boston has still maintained a great defensive identity. They're starting to figure it out. Uh, guys are starting to hit shots, which was a big problem early on. Uh, they're headed in the right direction. And the Lakers, I was shocked when I, I looked at the, I'm doing this deep dive on the Lakers and I was like, well, you know, they're only kind of mediocre. And then they won two games over the weekend. They're a game and a half back of the number one spot in the Western Conference. That's it. Game and a half back. I guess two games after last night's win by the, the Clippers and Nuggets. They're two games back of the top spot in the West. That's stunning given how many problems the team has been. They've been two different teams. The Lakers have been. They were a high offense, terrible defense team in October. After the Raptors game, they added Tyson Chandler. And then not only that, but they flipped their identity. Uh, they went from top 10 offense, bottom 10 defense in October to top 10 defense, bottom 10 offense in November. This is a very schizophrenic team. They might be starting to put both sides together. We'll see how it goes. There are big issues with the team, but there are also big promising things. Um, and so those three teams go in the same tier because if the playoffs started tomorrow, they would all be in and they would all be teams that you would be like, these teams could absolutely start wrecking stuff and just throwing teams out of the way. They, their top tier level, their, their best level of, their best version of themselves can beat any of the teams above them in the tier above them, uh, just short of Golden State. 
Yeah, it, it's funny. We have different second tiers, but our third tiers are actually pretty close. So I have the Celtics and Sixers in here as well. And then my my third team is the Rockets instead of the Lakers. Your logic is completely sound. I mean, they're, the Lakers, if they can put the two sides together, are an absolutely fascinating team. And for me, the reason the Rockets are there is just because we've seen what a healthy, you know, even though this team is not the same as last year's team, what they can do. And something that I've been thinking about over the last couple days, and I watched some of their loss to Minnesota on Monday, it's partially because Ariza and and Bamute and the the depth issues, and also they've been missing Nene, who came back, but is still, you know, not all the way, all the way there yet with Houston is that it's not just that they need to have Chris Paul on the floor, which they absolutely do. It's that they need Chris Paul to be Chris Paul. And if, and I'm not saying he is, but I'm saying if Chris Paul is not the guy, you know, if if he has taken, even if it's a half step back, unless they get some significant upgrades, I think Houston is a much, much weaker team because we've seen the James Harden offense, uh, a James Harden driven offense can be spectacular, but we've seen how that can run into specific flaws. And what Chris Paul did was give them more flexibility to go to attack teams in another way. And I mean, they were very, very close to winning a title last year. I I hope that people don't forget that if it ends up being that that's as close as they ever get, that they, you know, if Chris Paul didn't get hurt, I think they probably win that series. And yeah, you could say, oh, if Iguodala wouldn't have gotten hurt, then they'll let, yeah, that's true too. But that's how close it was. But when you're facing elite teams, and whether that's the Warriors or this year, now that the other teams have gotten better, the the Bucks or the Raptors, or if the Nuggets get there, the Nuggets and the Thunder, it's going to be a tough road, and they need Chris Paul to be that guy. And I've been banging the drum of Chris Paul being, you know, an amazing player for a long time, and I still think he can get to that point, but he has to. Like, they took away the wiggle room on this team. Yep. 100%. Um, I have Houston three full tiers below where you do. <clears throat> wow. Um, and, and, yeah. you know, and, you know, based on how they played this year, that's completely fair. Like, Well, it, let, let's – I want to jump – we're going to do like a lost thing where – the TV show where we, we, we jump – forward and then go back right three tiers below this the the third the third tier of Sixers Celtics Lakers I have Spurs Wizards Heat Rockets Jazz those are all teams that we expected to be better that have been quite frankly pretty bad for the majority of this season the difference though is that the one of the reasons I put all those teams together in one grouping I call them the portal teams because they have a portal where they can jump the two tiers above them and get back into a tier either below or with Sixers Celtics Lakers. All of those teams can jump into a same tier with Sixers Celtics Lakers if they can work off their early season struggles. But it's not those are teams that I also like I've I've when you look at the data, when you look at the win loss when they're again, as I said, win profile matters a lot to me. You learn a lot about teams not only for regular season format, but for playoff format too, in terms of are they a team that takes care of business or are they a team that you don't know what you're getting night, night in, night out? And those teams have been that. Houston, this was my thing when I said that the, the Rockets over-under was untouchable and Rockets fans went nuts on me. You're absolutely right. They nailed it. They took away the wiggle room and they just they don't have the foundation. Part of it is as much as they're, they, they've said like, well, when, when Paul and Harden and Capella are healthy and it's like they're not going to be healthy the whole time, guys. And you're going to have to find ways to win those games anyway. You're just going to have to find ways to win those games. If you want to be a 50 – if you want to be a 60-win team, 58 wins are better, which is their over-under for – that was at 57 at one point, went back down to 56 by the start of the season. 
you're going to have to win games when you don't have your best guys. And last year they had those games because they had such a great core identity. They are just miserable in terms of depth right now. Like their depth is just miserable. And Mori can pull something off. Um, I get all the reasons why keeping Ariza was untenable that, you know, they weren't, that he needed to get paid for his family and they couldn't afford the 15 million. I get that. I understand there's a possibility that he gets bought out and then, and comes back. I get that. That's fine. I get them by Mute. His shoulder wasn't right. Okay. But if that's what's happening, it's on Mori to, and the front office to find a way to get the necessary depth they need. They had too good of a team to take the gambles that they did with MCW and Mello, which have just been zeros. Brandon Knight's been a zero. Marquise Chris has been a zero. And I think that really hurts them. It's just hard to keep, to sustain every night. And we saw that last night. Like that was a game that they should have won versus Minnesota. And they just couldn't. They don't have the horses right now. And I think part of that's that they got there last year and they're like, oh, we could be fine. But it's like, look, man, I don't know. I, I don't think you want to go in the West as a seven seed. I just don't think you want to try and make a run to the title as a seven seed. That's a really hard road to try and get through. That's long series versus good teams. So I have a lot of worries about them. I have a lot of worries too. And it's also, we're getting closer to this issue where it's not only that the, like a lot of times people focus on like the number of games with a margin, you know, like, Oh, you're, you're X amount of games out of first place or second or whatever. But you also run into a problem with the number of teams, because when there's a massive teams, you get into the issue of variance. And so, yeah, you can jump over some of them because some teams are going to have injuries and fall off, or they're going to just be bad or whatever's going to happen. But some of the teams are also going to have the positive side of the variance and they're going to go on in eight two. 10 game stretch you know they're going to do something like that and the longer you stay behind everybody the harder it is to get into the places that are necessary for them to be really competitive and also i mean unless they like get a reza back or something crazy like that it's hard to like i mean houston having that fastball like that the the level that they could get to last year where you know like the, the series they had against the jazz where the jazz just couldn't really do much couldn't really do much i mean i was really impressed with what houston pulled off in that series i mean they also just beat the crap out of the the wolves but that was a different thing. And I think they're going to get a series, even if they get closer to their ceiling, they're going to get a series from just about everybody in the West because the West is so deep this year. You mentioned the variance, right? And the number of teams above them. So like part of the problem with this this rough start is, you know me, I'm always looking at tiebreakers. 0-2 versus the Clippers. 1-1 versus the Spurs. Uh, 0-1 versus Portland. 0-1 versus uh, Dallas. They beat the Nuggets, so they're 1-0 there, but Dow- but Denver's significantly above them, has a healthy lead. 0-1 versus Minnesota. They're already in a hole versus a lot of these teams that they, they could wind up in tiebreaker scenarios with. And that could wind up costing you where, oh man, that rough start in October and November, that meant that they wound up in a three-way tie and they lost all the tiebreakers and they fell from third to fifth. And now instead of getting um, an easy 3-6 matchup with a banged up or whoever it is, a team in the sixth spot, you're in a 4-5 matchup where it's basically borderline, like you're, you're basically the same team. Um, and that only makes it harder. All these little margins chip away at what their ceiling can be. Uh, you want me to list my fourth team or fourth year? Oh, I'll do mine quickly. So I put a bunch of teams together that are going to separate over the next month or so, but I just felt like putting them together because I'm still figuring all of them out. And so it's the Jazz, the Nuggets, the Pelicans, the Thunder, the Pacers, the Lakers, the Blazers, and the Clippers. And... <laughs> 
I originally had them in two different groups, but then what I realized was uh, the team that kind of clarified why this needed to be one group was actually the Pelicans. And so I was giving the Pelicans because I think a lot of their ceiling, I think, you know, like if this team can be healthy, especially if they could get somebody either on the trade market or on the buyout market, like I love Anthony Davis. I love their front court. Drew Holiday is awesome. Each one more has had a really nice year. There's still, you know, the weird things about their fifth starter and some of their, and I mean, their depth issues are coming to the fore right now. And what I realized was if I'm giving them that benefit of the doubt, I have to do the same thing with the Clippers because the Clippers, it's the reverse thing. It's like they've been so healthy and they've been great. And so you're sitting there going, well, I shouldn't give them a knock for being healthy and then give the Pelicans a benefit for being unhealthy. That's not really fair. And the Clippers have been really, the Clippers have been great this year. And the other reason why I had these groups, this group of teams there is that they're all teams that. I don't expect to win the title, but I could see them making a big run in the playoffs. I could see them outperforming their seed. If they get a lower seed, I could see them, you know, making a surprising run if things go well. And I don't expect that from a lot of these teams, but it was the idea that they could make that sort of a push that allowed me to group them together. Yeah, that, that's sound as well. Uh, my tier winds up being more focused on these are teams that are solid. They're just solid. They're good. They're they're good teams with a hard ceiling, in my opinion. Um, I can't see them making a conference finals without a major injury paving the way. I can't see them making a huge run. I do think most of them are going to come back down to earth, but I also think they're really solid teams. It's Pistons, Pacers, Clippers, Grizzlies, and Blazers. The Clippers are the one team I feel bad about. Um, they're the one team that I've talked about resume. I've talked about win profile. I've talked about all of these things, and the Clippers have done their part. They don't have an excellent SRS. They don't have an excellent net – like their net rating is good, but it's not – Best in the West, good. That's out there with, with Denver. There's a significant gap between where Denver's at and, and the Clippers are at in both of those ratings. But look, the Clippers have won and they've they've done their job. And you know what what can you really knock them for? And a lot of this is, this is one where I, I go into more of ephemeral kind of feel territory. I just don't buy it. I don't buy this Clippers team. I didn't buy them last year when they were red hot. I don't buy them this year. Uh, Gallo's going to get hurt. I I don't like saying that. It's just I can't believe it. Other until he gets through a season, I can't I can't believe Gallo is going to be healthy. I watched him in Denver for four years, and I've seen how he struggles with injuries. We saw him last year struggle with injuries, and that's that one guy because they need everybody uh, could really hurt them. I don't trust any team that needs Lou Williams in this capacity. Lou's great, fun player, great highlights. Super fun. Can't take him seriously as like a number one, number two option. Uh, I think Tobias Harris is proving that he's worth the money he's going to get this summer. I'm all in on Tobias Harris getting that money, but it's also a different deal when it's coming down the stretch of a serious, if it's not even the playoffs, if it's March and, or if it's early April and you're playing in a game for playoff positioning and the Blazers are saying, we're bringing Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum onto the floor to go at you. And the Clippers are saying, we're bringing Tobias Harris and Lou Williams. I'm taking Damon CJ. Like, that's where I wind up. Portland started red hot. They've really fallen off. They've just come back down to earth. Solid team. Like, they're capped, I think, because of their front court. Um, a lot of stuff that they were missing that I thought they were going to miss has started to, to hurt them more. They're the team that kind of started red hot in October and is maybe they're not as good. Um, the Grizzlies, I think, are a really good team, but they're also not going to go super far. They're just going to be a pain. All of these teams, I think you're right, that they can make noise in the playoffs. They're going to give you good series. They're not going to roll over, I don't think, except for maybe Portland. The Pistons are one I'm interested in, though. Man, 
with how Blake's playing, they are one move away. They just need one, a, a little bit better wing position. Or like two guys that could play. shoot. Yeah. God, it's just like watching them is so frustrating because you see what they could be. And then mm-hmm. you realize it's like what they need is something that's hard to get. And yeah. it, it's not necessarily like, oh, you need to get amazing players to make it work. It's just that shooters who can, who are not just sieves and everything else are just incredibly hard to get. Before we get into the Pistons, I want to say one stat on on the the Clippers. I don't buy their defense. That's one big thing for me. And so something I, I looked this up on cleaning the glass. They are so if you look at the the effectiveness, the shooting that each team ha- the opponents have at the different levels of the floor. The Clippers are in the top half of the league in like opponents missing shots in every area. And the only one actually at the rim, they're 16th. So that's you know middle of the road. But you don't expect that from any team. And they're doing a good job of contesting shots. I'm not saying they're doing badly. But if any of those start going back towards the middle, because they're they're right now their third in effective field goal percentage defense, if that knocks down a little bit, then all of a sudden they're more of like a bottom half defense, maybe somewhere around 20th. And a lot of this stuff gets a lot tighter. And so I think that's some that's a concern. I don't buy it all the way either, but I do respect what they've done. Yeah, um, and it's funny because it's like with the Clippers and Blazers, it's, well, look, you're good. You're just maybe not as good as what your your win-loss record says you are. And then with Memphis, it's kind of the opposite where it's like, no, they just are what they are. Like Memphis, Memphis is not lying about anything that they are. There's there's nothing on there that that there there there's not there's nothing really. I think with Memphis that you look at and you go like, oh, that's not sustainable. That's going to come back down to earth. You're just like, no, they are who they are. They can't shoot. They can't score. They have three really good players. They have one. They have Garrett Temple who could spread the floor a little bit. Kyle Anderson's going to do some stuff. They got a weak bench. They play great defense. Like they just they they are who they are. They show up. They do the work. They're respectable. And and the Clippers, the Grizzlies, I feel kind of like most comforted by because I'm just like, oh, they just kind of are who they are. And and they were a team that a lot of people I think overreacted to concerns about um, and really underrated how good Mike Conley and Marcus All still are. Now those guys can still get hurt and that dead derails them. But it is interesting to. To look at that uh, from that perspective of yeah. like the Grizzlies are just like fine. Well, what I got wrong on Memphis was I just didn't think their defense was going to be this good. I thought maybe they would be a top half, maybe top ten, and that their offense would still be shaky. And if that were the case, then they would not be as successful a team, you know, because that pretty good defense, bad offense doesn't really get you very far. There are a bunch of teams that have been in that issue, but their their defense has been significantly better than that. And the, the length is there, intelligence, communication. I mean, they had the fundamentals to be a really good defense. I just didn't buy it as much as I probably should. And we'll see if it continues. They have some guys coming back into the rotation that aren't as stable defensively. I mean, granted that we don't know if Chandler Parsons is ever going to play. So maybe, maybe that's not as relevant. And the other thing that I didn't necessarily expect, even though I loved him as a, as a prospect was that Jaron Jackson would pick it up this quickly. Yeah. That I didn't expect. They've needed him to, and he has, he has been spectacular for them so far and has been, you know, an important part offensively he's been better than I expected really taken on that role and then defensively I'm just such a big fan of what he is already and what he can be yeah I've I'm shocked that he's been this awesome he's just been like I I I thought that you know his best version was like oh no he could be like a rim protector that um has like really good defensive profiles but still makes mistakes as a rookie um and can shoot a little bit and instead it's like 
holy crap, like, what's his ceiling? Like, what what can't he do? He's His off-the-dribble game has been so much better than I expected, um, and his defensive awareness, like, he doesn't... He makes some mistakes that you expect for a rookie, but he also, like, he's getting better every game, and I, I, I'm trying not to, to go full-bore hype machine, because my man... Worldwide Wob, Rob Perez is taking that spot on my Action Network team, but man, he does fundamentally change the Grizzlies' long-term outlook as a franchise based off of what his ceiling can be, and that's fascinating to think about. There are a lot of players in the league, and the term tweener exists because it's guys that don't really fulfill the obligations of, of either role. I think he is the opposite of that, where it's a, a slash. And so what that means is I think he is a fully functioning power forward, and I think he can be a fully functioning five. And generally speaking, if a guy can do that, it can be a, a four offensively and a five defensively, you've got a really, really fascinating player. And I don't think that he's going to be like this go-to offensive scorer. He can do more, like he can take advantage of lapses and take advantage of the seams that are created better than a lot of different guys at his size, which is a really, really exciting. But guess what? Very few teams need their big guy to be that player anymore. There are so many talented guards, the way that offenses are structured in the NBA. I'm really excited for what he could be. And also, it gives Memphis a different set of flexibility. I mean, I don't know how they're feeling about Marcus Gasol's future with the team right now because he has that player option for next year. That player option is getting a little bit more interesting when he's been playing well this year. Maybe he considers doing the thing where he opts out and gets more money over longer term, something like that. Maybe Al Horford's going to do the same thing. But We'll have to see. And I, I'm so, so excited for Jaron Jackson. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else in these tiers that we just talked about that warrants further discussion. A bunch more teams to get through with Matt Moore. But first, a message from Simple Contacts. Simple Contacts is the most convenient way to renew your contact lens prescription and reorder your brand of contacts from anywhere in minutes. Instead of heading to the doctor year after year just to renew your prescription for something you wear every day, you can do it on your own time and terms in just a few minutes. It's vision care for the 21st century. It's really impressive as somebody who has taken their Simple Contacts vision test online. It gets reviewed by a licensed doctor. It's very thorough. I had to redo it a couple times because they noticed a mistake in terms of, I think it was the distance that I was away from it. They gave very good instructions. I just wasn't very good at following them. That is my own fault. was very impressed with how thorough they were. And while it is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam, it is a really amazing way to skip a bunch of steps in the process that used to require going to the doctor. So it doesn't, you don't skip the steps. You just get to do them from the comfort of your own home, which is fantastic. And as I said, it's less than five minutes. And if you want to check it out for yourself, go to, you can do it two different ways to support the show, simplecontacts.com slash realgm20, or you can enter the code realgm20 at checkout. And the reason it has the number 20 is because you get $20 off your order. So you get to check out Simple Contacts, you get $20 off your order, and you get to tell them that you came from us. And it's fast, reliable, convenient, and they have all the brands and types of lenses you're familiar with, so you never have to shop around to find them at the best price. Vision Test is only $20. Their contact lens prices are unbeatable. And you, if you go to simplecontacts.com slash RealGM20 or enter that RealGM20 promo code at checkout, you get $20 off your order. So you already take great prices, get them for even cheaper. So definitely check it out. One more time, simplecontacts.com slash RealGM20 or RealGM20 at checkout. Also have a word from TrueCar. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, 
or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you cannot put a price tag on your stories, now with TrueCar, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to TrueCar, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's deal details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof? Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you will get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So, when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True cash offer, not available in all areas. Oh, I have one team. Have you have you had the Pacers yet, or have you not mentioned them yet? I, I have. You know, I have them in, in Pistons, Pacers, Clippers, Pistons, Grizzlies, that's Blazers. Right, yeah. and so, um, like, they're really solid. They're a team where, like, my conversation about, like, well, you know, look, you're going to have to win without players are going to get hurt and your team identity. They're a team where, look, you lose Victor Oladipo, it's a different kind of deal. Um, he's still impactful on both ends. They're just not the same squad. What's funny is you see them and they're competing. They just can't win. Like, they're still hanging in these games. They're not getting blown out. They're not just, like, a miserable mess without Oladipo. But they just can't get it done. Like, he just gives them the edge to get over and get a lot of the wins. And it's just – it started just as they, their schedule, I think, picked up a little bit. They're a team that – I've had a hard time pegging because they had some losses early that looked bad. And then you look black later and you're like, oh, that's not so bad. Like, that's okay. Like, they lost to Dallas. Like, Dallas is decent. That's fine. They they lost to Houston when Houston was really bad. But Houston was starting to turn it around. And so it's like, okay, you still lost to Houston, which they could beat anybody on any given night. So that's not bad. Uh, their one-loss profile is pretty solid. I think they're still a really good team. I'm waiting for them to kind of hit hit a level and for them to really assert themselves in a, as an identity. Like, I don't know what to say about Indiana in terms of, like, they are this. Like, they are definitely this team. They're just solid. Like, a lot of the teams on this on this well, versus, you know, if, if Memphis is built on their defense, you could probably say the same thing about Indiana when they're fourth in defensive rating. But it never feels like, oh, man, like Indiana just shut them down. Like they have a better defensive rating than Memphis. But there are nights when with Memphis, you're like, man, Memphis just like strangled them. And with Indiana, it's just like, yeah, held them down, managed it. Their shot profile continues to be maddeningly archaic, but it's working for them. But they just got to get Victor Oladipo back, and I still expect them to be, you know, four, five, six, somewhere in that range in the East. When you said we don't know what they are, what I was going to say is they're the fifth seed in the East. Like that, that to me feels like their destiny. Where I mean, because the teams above them, the Raps, Bucks, Sixers, and Celtics are all just a little bit more talented. And while I like the Pacers a lot, and I think you know, there's they're just they're doing a good job overall of not maximizing, but utilizing what they have. It's hard for me, other than with injuries or something, to see them go like, I don't know, 20 and five, like over some sort of stretch and like really push into this tier, do something crazy. And so that for them, I think this could be a, a situation where who they play like in the playoffs and all that will have an outsized effect on how people feel about their season and something that gets lost in the shuffle with them. And I think there's this weird parallel with Utah. And granted, not that Utah's, Utah hasn't had that season yet, where they have a lot of flexibility in the 2019 offseason. And I wonder how their front office is going to interpret this season, how they're going to define success. And so Indiana, like it's very possible that they're going to walk out of this and be the five seed. They could win that first run series. They could lose it. They go either way and just be like... E- 
we want to do something really, really different and just clean house. But I could also see them, you know, largely bring it back together. And I always get interested when with how front offices and ownership groups interpret the kind of season that it looks like Indiana might have. Yeah, I, I'm trying to still, like I said, I, th- I want to wait to see how they look when, when Oladipo gets back because they have they've had really good high points. And I want to see where they go from here. Uh, I have a tier below them. So you had a bunch of those teams linked together. Um, so those teams above were really solid. These teams are, they could be good. They got some problems, but they could be good. Hornets, Wolves, Pelicans, Magic, Mavericks, Kings. So you're higher on the Pels than I am. And the reason that I'm kind of out on them at this point, not for the whole season, but for right now, look, the defense is broken. And that's a systemic thing. Like, that's not injuries. That's not talent. That's not, you know, like, with Boston, their offense has been so bad. You can look at it and say, like, look, guys have missed a lot of open shots. And that's true. That's also been a, a profile characteristic of Brad Stevens' teams, oddly enough, is they don't shoot well the first half of the season on unguarded shots. It's weird, but it's a trend I've noticed. Statistically, that's been backed up. But, like, with the Pelicans, like, they really need more worm protection. And Miritich and Randall creates a, an issue for them where in their rotation, those guys have to get a certain amount of minutes. So they're playing their lineups with Randall at center, and they're getting murdered. They're, they're just getting murdered defensively when Randall's at center. And I love Julius Randall's defense, and I think he's really great as a small ball four. But you can't play him at five, um, at least not with Miritich. They're just – they're getting destroyed at the rim a lot. Um, Czech Diallo needs to play more. They let go of Emeka Okafor, who gave them good minutes last year. They, they're really suffering when Davis is off the floor. And until they saw the defensive identity, I can't take them as seriously. The Hornets, man, the Hornets just continue to be, like, great net rating. They've got the third best SRS in the Eastern Conference. Nope, can't win games. Just can't win. 3-20 and 20 since 2016-17, games decided by, 20, by three points or less. Just maddening that Charlotte is not better than it is. They should be so much better that as they every year they should be and they're they just don't win games and it's infuriating. The Wolves, I'm putting them here as respect for what they've accomplished. I think Minnesota's gonna tail back down. So much of what's happened with them is just Derek Rose has shot forty nine percent from three. Okay, we'll we'll see how that holds up. Towns has looked great, their defense has been engaged. I, I respect the fact that they've responded to the Butler trade with professional pride, but I think it's hard to maintain over the course of the season and I think they still have a lot of issues. Like Houston could have easily won that game last night if they hadn't just gone into a spiral. They're hanging on by by their fingernails and I don't have a lot of faith in them. The magic I'm really interested in. I'm, they're just really interesting to me. They're a fun team to watch. The Magic are, are underrated with how competitive they can be. They got hit with the West Coast road trip, and that knocked them off a little bit. But I think there's real capacity for Orlando to hang around maybe till the All-Star break in terms of being a team that might make the playoffs. The Mavs, you know, they're inconsistent. One night they look really good. The next night they look terrible. Luka is such a big part of it. Their veterans, honestly, are the biggest variable, though. Like, you don't know what you're getting from the veterans night in and night out with Harrison Barnes and, and DeAndre Jordan and Wesley Matthews, and that's a big problem. And then the Kings, just fun, just a really fun team. I, I could see all these teams hanging around the playoff race, and I could see all of them completely tailing off and falling into the depths of the lottery. So they're they're very much hanging on by their fingernails. Yeah, I, I separated a little bit differently, but I understand where you're coming from. So I'll I'll go through my next three tiers in order because they're they're all kind of these same teams, and I'll draw it out. So I had a group that I called the need to see more, and so that's teams that there are things that I like 
but they're also just these red flags. And so the Hornets, you know, close game stuff, they have a lot of, they have talent. And and now that Marvin Williams is going to be out for at least a week, can they survive that kind of an injury? Zeller, you know, we'll see, we'll see what's happening with him. Memphis, it's the offense-defense dynamic. If their defense takes even a slight step back, then it's going to be a, a real challenge because they're scoring. Like I, I just think there's not too much untrod ground there that they can really exploit. The Pistons, like you said, like there's a lot to like here. It's just whether whether they can correct their flaws, and it's a hard thing to do during the season. And then Minnesota, their defense has been really intriguing over the last couple of games. As you said, in the Houston game, a lot of it was also just the Rockets missing a ton of shots. And they, you know, they were dodging raindrops a lot of that game. But Covington does really give them a dynamic. And the other thing, we've seen this with teams over the, over time. I would it'd be an interesting piece. I, I probably don't have the time to do it. But where losing a higher usage player reshuffles a rotation and dynamics enough to give other opportunities to players that can take advantage of them. And Towns has been really good. But we're going to need to see that more. Because what happened to Minnesota now is they put a lot more on certain guys' shoulders and they've handled it so far, but that isn't a guarantee that they will moving forward. So that was my need to need to see more tier. Then I have the, eh, maybe. And those are teams that I just don't see it as much. They could, but I so, so I'm not acknowledging it, but I just don't trust them as much for whatever reason. And that for me is the Heat, Spurs, Mavs, and Wizards. The Heat haven't been healthy. They've really missed Dragic over the last eight or so games. The Spurs, I just don't think they're super good this year. Their defense isn't there. They're missing DeJounte a lot. And then offensively, they're kind of pulling a rabbit out of a hat like they did defensively over the last couple of years. And I, again, I don't think there's a lot of untrod ground. Like there's, there's not a lot of gains that they can make that haven't already happened. The Mavs, I just don't know what to think yet. They, they've been intriguing. They've had some really nice games. And then the Wizards, it's just like when they play well, they can beat teams like three or four tiers higher on the list, but they can lose to anybody. Yeah. So uh, we're back in that, what I previewed earlier, that tier of Spurs, Wizards, Heat, Rockets, Jazz for me, where, you know, San Antonio, I'm, I'm working on this right now, trying to figure it out. They're bad with Aldridge on the floor. And everyone's response is, well, it's because of the guys around him. And so I looked at it. Everybody's got a better defensive rating when Aldridge isn't on the floor. Even guys like Patty Mills, even guys like DeMar DeRozan. Well, uh, and, and the other part of that is we all thought LaMarcus Aldridge had an unbelievably great year defensively last year. It kind of makes sense that what would come, that there would be a regression to the mean this year, especially when they haven't had as much center play. So he's been playing straight the five. So it was basically relying a lot on this amazing season he had being the model as opposed to that being something special. Yeah. Um, they're spreading him out. Like he's guarding 10, he's, he's at 10th percentile defensively guarding spot up shots. So he's not covering space. That's a problem. And with, especially with where the league is at. So like if, if, if you can't play good defense when Aldridge is on the floor, this team has no shot. They don't have enough firepower. They just don't have enough firepower. They've gotten good shooting performances and it hasn't been enough. They're a team that I actually wonder if this is finally the year where they make a midseason trade that actually shuffles things up. They, I know that they're going to think like, well, we're missing DeJounte. Like they need a fundamental reshuffling of, of their core identity. And I think that's, that's, something that they're going to have to reconcile. You know, the Wizards are the Wizards. There's no need for us to dig in there. Like, there's The Wizards are a podcast into themselves and all of their problems. Um, but I will say this, that the longer they don't make a trade and they just keep chugging, like, 
they if they win two or three in a row, they're going to be back with them one game under 500. Like they're just <laughs> like they're too talented to go away, too annoying to ever really succeed. Well, and, and then you get into all the incentive stuff because I don't think the general manager wants to re, wants to rebuild or reload because that might turn some of the focus job. onto him. Yeah. Scott Brooks doesn't want that either. So I I think they are a team that wants to find fool's gold. They would love to find real gold too, but Pyrite's pretty good for them as well. And that's always a concern. Um, I have the Jazz here, which they're the team most likely that in two months I'm going to be like, oh no, they're, they're out of that. But like, look, Utah's lost to bad teams. They've lost to good teams. They've lost at home where you're supposed to be good. You know, win loss profile for me, a lot of it comes down to do you beat the bad teams? Do you win at home? Do you win in division? Utah's doing none of those things. Utah's doing none of those things. And until they do that, I can't believe in it because, you know, their defense hasn't been good enough to hold them and their offense, it should be accepted that their offense isn't good. The Corbett trade, I think I'm really interested to see because he gives them specifically something that they need, which is another floor spacer besides Ingles, so that if you drop in the pick and roll, you're going to get punished. They needed that. They really needed that. Uh, we'll have to see how that works. A lot of this comes down to, I think Ricky Rubio is a really impactful player. He plays great defense. He's a wonderful passer. I think he's in a position on this team where you're asking way too much of him. Basically, if Rubio's not shooting well, which is not something you can feel great about, they're going to lose. I, you're going to have to fundamentally change that if you want to get on more stable ground, because otherwise it's going to be night to night. You don't know what you're getting. The NBA is about cons- surviving the NBA regular season to get to the playoffs is about consistency. And I don't know what you're getting from Utah night in and night out. They have been as erratic as any team in the league. And they even when they win, they don't look incredible. There are very few nights when Utah wins that you're just like, they looked awesome. Um, their best performance of the season was against Golden State when they lost on the Jonas Rebko game winner. So, um, I have more, con- I have real concerns about, about Utah. Um, Houston, we talked about earlier. I have the same thing. And the biggest thing with Houston is their defense. Like, they're just not the same team. And they're trying to just win with offense again. And they can be fun and good, and you can probably make it into the 5-6 range. But I can't take you seriously if you're going to be 25th in defense. The NBA, as much as it's an offensive-centric league, you can't be vulnerable to offenses when the offenses are so good. That's part of it, right? It's like you don't have to be – you don't have to stop them. You don't have to hold them. You don't have to shut them down. But you also can't be a complete saloon door. Um, and most of Houston's a saloon door right now, and that's a big problem. Also, when you see a team that was strong defensively one year and then is bad the next, you assume, or you might not assume, but you might think, oh, well, they got the change in three-point luck. They're middle of the road in opponent three-point percentage. They're, you know, the opponents are shooting 36% from three on them. That's fine. It's 16th in the league. They're getting slaughtered at the rim this year. So they're giving up a top 10 frequency and a top three percentage. Teams are shooting, they're making two-thirds of their shots at the rim this year. That should improve. I think maybe some of that is a little bit of Hartenstein and and Capella not being as good. I mean, he has, to me, taken a step back defensively this year. He's just not everywhere like he was. And also, they just don't have as many good help defenders this year. I mean, it was a lot of switching and all that, but they were able to scramble too. They had those guys that could just hold their own, and that would allow them to not give up as much. And so, yeah, I, I understand that idea with the Rockets. But we'll move on to what I had as the I called it the feisty group, and what I mean by that is they're not the dregs. These are teams that I think are better than that and that could earn their way into higher tiers. I'm just not all the way there, and that's the Magic, the Nets, and the Kings. And so Orlando, you talked about how they got they got hit by that road trip. I actually thought for a fair portion of it, they looked pretty good. They just lost a bunch of close games, and I mean, they could have beaten the Warriors if Aaron Gordon hadn't gotten hurt. They were competitive in, in a bunch of other ones. 
I like a lot of what they're doing. Vooch has been fantastic this year. He's been really good. Their offense, you know, I feel like there's a ceiling on it just because they don't have enough talent. And defensively, there's some untapped potential, but not a ton. That So maybe they could move into the tier above. The Nets, if Karis LeVert hadn't gotten hurt, they would be a tier or two above, but they just don't have enough right now, which is really sad because I've enjoyed... The Nets are one of my favorite teams to watch, partially because they... They play a lot of fun games, like they play a lot of good games. They they punch above their weight, but then they end up losing them. And so they're a team that I think, like I talked about this a little bit in the 15 and 60 this past week, that they've they've been getting killed in close games, kind of like the Hornets have. But I think for them, it's because they're not they're not as good as their opponents, so they get into these games and then can't win because they don't have the star talent. And then the Kings, one of the best stories in the league, De'Aaron Fox is still doing great. I just don't buy it all the way, you know, like because for me the and babies are like, oh, I could see a path to the playoffs. And for the Kings, especially because their offense has been fueled by being amazing in transition and their half-court offense still hasn't been good, I just don't see it all the way yet. I love what what De'Aaron Fox is doing. I'm excited about their support players looking better than they did last year. But to me, they haven't moved into these above tiers yet, though they could. Yeah, you mentioned... um... Orlando and Brooklyn. You know, Orlando is three and three in games decided by three points or less. That's a high number relative to the rest of the league in in those kind of games. And the Nets are three and four. They've been in seven games so far. They've been decided by three points or less. Brooklyn's actually kind of disappointed me. Um, I think Karis Levert is the biggest differential that I'm I'm maybe not giving enough credence to because he really was fantastic before he went down. But Brooklyn does the, one of the things I think I'm concerned with is. They're so far under 500 now that it could start tailspinning and they could just be like, look, we finally have a pick. We finally like that. That's when management could be like, look, guys, we appreciate the effort. We do. We finally have a pick. We got to make the most of this and they could start tanking. And that's a bummer because I think I think Brooklyn, they're so well coached. They play such a fun style. They have so many fun players like they are just a really fun team, like you said. And I, I, I wish there was more from them the kings um i want to believe man i just i want i choose to believe <laughs> like I, I want this team to, to hang around and fox has been so good and willie collie stein has been so good and buddy healed has been so good and like i just i want to see them kind of hang around i just i hope i hope against hope for them to be okay i only have let's see one two three four five six teams left here's what's funny is uh below that team of teams that should be better that the, the portal teams I have a one-team tier, and of all teams, it's the Knicks. The freaking Knicks at 8-17. and 17. Same record as the Nets, but Fizdale has done a really good job. He's gotten such great performances out of guys like Alonzo Trier, like with Knox going down, and then them still playing so well. Like The Knicks are a pain, man. They're just a pain to play, and that's why they're separated out from the bottom rung. Um, because they're actually like the Knicks are a team that I don't immediately go like, oh, that's a loss. Like, oh, that's a, that's a win for the opponent. Like, that's an easy one. The Knicks are one where I'm like, mm, you better take care of business or you're going to get caught. Yeah, I should probably put the Knicks in my feisty tier because that's exactly what they are. Like, they, they just, they can put, put some games into people. They have a lot. I, I've enjoyed them a lot this year as well. They have, and so many guys that can just put some points up or that can, that can contribute in different ways. Moutier's had all these, like, randomly, like, good clutch moments. And I, I, I was thinking about it. You're a good person to ask about this because is there a place in the most improved conversation for somebody who went from being the one of the most destructive players in the league to like a passable NBA player like that's not the type of improvement we generally reward with that award but maybe that's something we should consider yeah no I'm 100% with you there who's uh who's, le- who's left on your list 
Okay, so my so I'm going to move the Knicks out of the dregs to Feisty. Part of the reason I had them there was just because they're they're not getting as much improvement from guys that are like out. Because that's what's weird about the bottom of the league right now is so I have I have five teams when it previously included the Knicks, and that was the Bulls, the Suns, the Knicks, the Cavs, and the Hawks. But the Bulls and the Suns are, you know, the Bulls are getting a bunch of guys back. The Suns have been meaningfully better since the beginning of the year when they were just awful. Though we have to, I haven't heard any diagnosis yet on what's going on with Devin Booker's hamstring. Which, if that happens, they're just dead in the water. And then, you know, Cleveland will get Kevin Love back at some point. Okay. And the Hawks are just aren't good. They'll be better when John, with John Collins. And something that I think is interesting with this group is all of these teams are substantially more capable. And I, I think there's more reason to inspire hope than the worst teams in previous years. Now, some of that is because nobody started tanking yet. But I mean, like, so John Collins getting back, like, there's a reason to watch the Hawks. Trey Young's interesting. They're gonna, they're bad. They're gonna lose a bunch of games, but they're interesting. Cleveland, you know, they've been, they've been a lot better over the last few weeks. Colin Sexton has improved meaningfully. They're playing with more fire defensively, which is nice. Tristan Thompson's having an underappreciated year. And then the Suns have been a lot better. And then the Bulls, I mean, we'll see now that they have Lowry back, they're gonna get done and Portis back in a couple weeks. They already made a coaching change. But for me, even if those teams are better, there are two things that are in play. One, they still aren't great talent-wise. And two, they already have so many logged losses that gravity is going to pull them towards being bad teams anyway. Even if they end up getting better, that's going to be maybe to like the all, to like the trade deadline, and then they go, wait, we're still not going to make the playoffs. Yeah, these are all teams that the other the opponent can have an off night and still beat. Those are important games for the good teams to win, but it's also they're easy games for the for those teams to win. Like these teams just can't really challenge. Wait, my fi- my final tier is Hawks, Bulls, Cavs, Nets, Suns. Yeah. This is also what, what I'm referring to as the Zion tier. So okay. Um, but although it's it, we're we're working on something on Action Network, I I have had a lot of fun thinking about if you put Zion Williamson on all these teams right now, what happens to their seasons? Like that's a fascinating question to think about. Like if you just put Zion Williamson right now on the Chicago Bulls, like what do they look like? And the answer is probably like they're still pretty terrible because they don't have anybody that will give them the ball. Like their guards are so high usage. And then with the Hawks, it's like mm, the Hawks might be not bad. Like Trey Young, John Collins, Zion Williamson. That sounds pretty interesting. Um, and so, then like to the- me, that team just to interject, that Hawks team sounds like a really fun bad team. Like, yeah. like they would have, they would be that like league pass team that everybody watches and they still lose almost all their games. But yeah. I like that team. That That's a good thing to be. Yeah. And like the Cavs, like, you know, oh, you got like Sexton and, and Chetty Osman and, and Zion. You're like, all right, maybe that's not so great, but that's, in, but that's like a little bit better. Um, and then the Nets, who I have in this tier, who they'll probably wind up working when, when, um, Lavert gets back. They'll probably work their way back into the tier with the Knicks. But like, man, the a a four out system with Zion just wrecking inside. That sounds really really fun. Like Dinwiddie, Dinwiddie, Lavert, Zion. All right, sign me up for that. I'm in. I'm in on that. And then with the Suns, like obviously, like the the Suns, here's what's really weird. There, the Suns had the best chance of of getting Zion, um, even with the flattened lottery odds, and yet. Like, I don't know about Zion and Aiden as a combo. That doesn't, that's not a lot, a lot of spacing as much as Zion's shooting well from three. So may, maybe we got to hope that Zion doesn't end up with the Suns because of the fit there. Anyway, it's, uh, that's that last tier. 
A point I want to throw out about the Nets who you had in this tier, and that's totally fair, I have them one above, is that I actually think in terms of the long game, you know, I try not, I try to avoid these things because front offices think differently than especially, you know, like internet fans on this kind of thing. But for the long-term future of their franchise, I think it's actually a good thing for them to fall off a little bit because they need more talent. Like this is the, the nets aren't almost there and falling off enough that they can get one of the top guys in this draft. And honestly, all from the limited amount I've seen of them, all of the best guys in this draft would actually really help Brooklyn. Zion would obviously be awesome, but Cam Reddish, RJ Barrett, both those guys would help give them a different identity. I haven't seen enough a little yet. And Bull Bull would just be fun. I'd be interested in him almost everywhere. But so for Brooklyn, you said they just have their own pick and all these kind of things. It's like, just, just lean into it. Like you, you, you looked feisty, Karis Levert got hurt. It sucked. Fortunately, the injury is not nearly as bad as we thought it would be. And they, they, them kind of not tanking because that's not what this would be. Just leaning into it a little bit, a little bit this year and just playing hard, but losing a bunch of games. They get a lot of the things they want out of it. This year was mostly about evaluation and showing, maybe showing for agents that they can be competitive. They could have a really productive year and then just end up with a top five pick. Good coaching, fun team, good culture, solid management, Zion Williamson, and cap space. Like, that's a pretty good recipe for, for next summer. You know, and as much as I'm always like, don't get ahead of yourself, don't go chasing, it's, it, it is kind of interesting to me to think about that. Like, I've been wondering a lot about, like, you know, if you're one of the teams, do you want to invest in some of the, of the non-marquee free agents this summer? And they're one where it's going to be, they have to be really careful not to do an Orlando magic. We're just going to spend just to spend. Oh, look, we paid. Uh, Bismack Biombo, eighty million dollars. But if they're able to get actually significant return, that could be really interesting. Like, here's one. Let's say that Kemba decides that he doesn't want to stay in Charlotte, which he's said m- numerous times he has, and they're going to offer him the max extension, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he turns down the money. If you're Brooklyn and you clear cap space and you get Zion and you add Kemba Walker, Tobias Harris, and Zion Williamson, how many games in the Eastern Conference do you win? That could be a mid forties team. Yeah. Like that's 45 wins, I think. Yeah. And that's good enough to get you in, that's good enough in the, in the East to get you not only in the playoffs, but probably get you within range of home court if you have like an outlier year. Cause you're going to have shooters cause they, they got Joe Harris in that ridiculous deal. So yeah, it's like the net, the nets are really fun to play with on a future, future plan, you know, mock GM kind of approach. Something I want to ask you as we get towards the end of this is what you're looking for over the next couple of weeks. I mean, you talked about how this is a really good point to do this podcast. So now, let's say from now until late December, what teams are you going to be watching? What what dynamics are most interesting to you? Uh, December is what I call the mirror month. <clears throat> and December is when, uh, in my 10 years of covering the league and you know watching all these games and paying as close attention as I can, I've noticed that December is where a lot of teams... They're feeling good. Things are going great. And then they happen to pass by a mirror and they go, oh, oh, no, we're the king slash magic slash Knicks. Oh, no. And then they just they tail off. Um, and it can be for good teams, too. Like you can start off really hot and then you hit that that mirror month and you realize like, oh, we're just kind of OK. And Portland's having a mirror month right now in November where like, hey, no, we're ready to challenge. We've been a good team in the West for years. Oh, oh, no. No, we were relying on Nick Stauskas too much. Oh, that's a bummer. Jake Lehman's starting at three. Oh, that's not good. I want to see what happens with Charlotte. They're, they're maybe the most interesting just because it feels like there's got to be some sort of pressure. And 
they're either going to finally pull out of this and it's going to be a great story or they're going to spiral. And at that point, I just wonder if Kemba's going to get tired of, of being such an aftermath um, or an afterthought. Um, I've fought against the narratives of the vultures trying to pick over New Orleans. But look, they got to win. And if New Orleans doesn't pull out of this, if New Orleans doesn't separate itself, that pressure on Anthony uh, to trade Anthony Davis is going to start ramping up. That's going to be a conversation. As much as I hate that and think it's unfair for New Orleans and their fans, that's the reality. They got to pull out of this, or it's going to get bad in a hurry. I really want to see what happens to Utah. Like, does Utah ride itself? Like, can they can they rediscover themselves? Are they going to go on another crazy run where they go nineteen and three over a stretch? Somebody's getting ready to pop off a huge winning streak, and it's it's going to determine who. Um, and how that goes. I also want to see, I want to see Dallas. And if that, da- like, one of Dallas's problems right now is they don't have a lot of buy-in. Like, they have nights where, like, they could be pretty good, but they don't have great buy-in from the veterans. And the veterans are going to have to decide, all right, do you guys want to just kind of coast this year, or do you actually want to go out and try and make the playoffs? Cause you're within range. You can do this. Um, you have a guy that, that you can get this done with in Luka Doncic. Um, I'm excited to see if Dirk comes back like Gandalf and is just like, no, no, we're going to play. Like, we're, we're, I want to make a run. Let's go. And if that leadership, winds up translating and then the Sixers are the other one there's still things about Philadelphia I don't really trust but man Jimmy seems to have unlocked some stuff with them and I want to see how that works out you hit on a couple of the big ones for me one of them is where are the lines of division in the Western Conference like is this really 12 or 13 teams going for eight spots or is it more like 10 I think we'll start to see some of those separation points Utah I mean I just need to figure out what that I was so high on them at the beginning of the season what what changed what what is still going to change and then, so we didn't talk about this as much with, when we talked about the Celtics in terms of their weaknesses, but one of the fundamental changes that Jimmy Butler adds is that Boston's defense makes a bet that by, you know, by having all these capable defenders, but not really a single lockdown guy other than Marcus Martin, there are a whole bunch of interesting stuff going on with him and him starting and everything else. But now the Raptors, the Bucks, and the Bucks are a little different, and the Sixers all have a really interesting isolation score. Kawhi, I think, is is a real threat to the Celtics' defensive scheme, but Jimmy Butler is better at that than anybody Philadelphia had before. And so I don't, I just I'm interested in the Sixers just to see how all this stuff works out. And yeah, I mean they're they're a really really fascinating team right now. Yeah, they there's. They're... There's just so much to figure out, and then you have to also factor in that – and this is one of the things I wrote about when the trade happened, that this puts a lot of pressure on Simmons, man. Like Simmons is going to have to – like because he's the weak point now. He's no longer the strong point. Like he's the weak point um, offensively, and trying to figure out how to manage that is going to be really key and, and how that dynamic plays out. A lot of big personalities – a lot of stuff to figure out there. Uh, also, I think maybe the more one of the, the the things that's under the radar is I do want to see I, I want to see the Clippers and like all right, like show me, like let, let's keep this up, Pro- prove me wrong, make make me look dumb, keep winning games with Lou Williams and Tobias Harris and I love Montrez Harrell. I like a lot of these guys. Like show me Gallo is going to be healthy. Show me you can carry this through because if you can, that's going to throw a wrench into things and that could be really fun. Yeah, again, that's, yeah, they're one of the clarifying teams about really where this line is. I, I have the Pistons as a show me team as well, just seeing what they can do. And Memphis, like, if, if Memphis can keep this going for another few weeks, then I'll be a bigger believer that they can put it together. So, yeah, I mean, we could be looking, I mean, imagine if the West stays this competitive for a little while longer. It'd be so much fun. Yeah, that's the thing is, is you, this is what you want if you're the NBA. And I, I learned that last year actually talking to some folks in the front office that, league office that, their bigger concern is is not about teams tanking. It's that they want a, the highest number of teams 
in the playoff race late in the season. Yeah. And the East, you actually have a bigger problem where the ninth seed is 10 and 14. It's Washington. They're a little bit further out. Um, that's not a huge gap, but it's, it's, they've been really bad. Miami's been really bad. Brooklyn's been really bad versus in the West, you know, you've got 10 teams at 500 and what 11, 12, 13, 13 teams at one game under 500 and then another team the jazz at two games under 500 like this is ridiculously competitive all of these like none of these teams in the western conference except the suns have any incentive to tank they have no incentive they're all within range of a playoff spot you just want that to hold off as long as possible and the date that people should keep in the back of their minds i the one that i'm using is january 21st and so january 21st is about a little over two weeks before the trade deadline and so at that point i think t- a lot of gms and ownership groups are going to look at themselves in the mirror and say what are we where are we going and what should we do and we're going to see a really different type of buyer seller market depending on how this time turns out because it might end up being not necessarily that there are a lot of buyers but there are very few sellers and that would be a big problem and then what that could lead to should that happen is actually probably a more robust buyout market because now that they move the trade deadline up there's a longer time for these teams to clarify and so we could see teams that think they're in it find out a month later they're not and so instead of getting something for guy x they end up getting nothing for guy x yeah the uh, d-league showcase sorry g-league get the g-league showcase is later this month they moved it up it's right before christmas uh, the reason I mention that is that's when I think a lot of that's when you're going to have a lot of GMs under one roof and they're all going to be talking. And so um, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. Don't be surprised if over Christmas we're starting to hear more about trades as teams come to grips with the realities of where their team is at and the desperation that's going to be based around. Oh, okay. And this is what's what's important about this is like in the West. I just talked about how there's a, that drop off, but. You still feel like you're a couple of moves away in the East too. Like we're still in that range of you're, there's still hope. So if you're like, we can't let this season slip away, like in Miami in particular, they watched Jimmy Butler go to a division, to not a division, but a, a conference opponent. Um, they've passed on a bunch of other opportunities and they're really now like, Oh, you're not as good as you thought you were. Um, so Miami's in a spot now where do they, are they a team that gets aggressive and says like, no, we're not going to settle for being bad. We're not going to tank. They, they, Riley hates tanking. Ownership hates tanking. They're going to fight as long as possible. Um, are they a team that starts saying like, all right, we got to shuffle some things up. Let's put everybody in the market. Um, as that start getting stuff done. So be on the lookout the next couple of weeks, especially in that last week before Christmas as the G League showcase ramps up. Really looking forward to it. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks, man. Thanks again to Matt Moore for taking the time to come on. You can read him at the Action Network and you can follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball, H-P-B-A-S-K-E-T-B-A-L-L. Love talking with him and Matt is somebody who intently watches the entire league and so that makes him particularly good for the Tears podcast and somebody that I've discussed basketball stuff with for a pretty intensely long time now, which is great. And we come at it from slightly different perspectives and think that leads to good episodes, really good episodes like this. And don't know exactly where next week's episode is going to go. Have a couple different ideas. I'll take the rest of this week at least to figure it out because this episode is coming out early in the week. But that's a great reason to subscribe and download every episode because it'll come out when it's ready to come out. And it's a great way to support the show as well since it doesn't come out on a specific day. Also, of course, leaving a rating, leaving a review in the podcast player for choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. They're still really big in our industry. And if you want to be super awesome, if you listen to something else, you can leave a review both places. You don't have to, but it's great if you do. 
And of course, the single most important thing you can do to support this show and any other show that has them is check out our advertisers, betonline.ag. Use that podcast one promo code for a 50% signup bonus. Simple Contacts, go to simplecontacts.com slash realgm20 or use realgm20 at checkout for $20 off your order, which is awesome. And TrueCar, great place to buy new and used cars. You can also check out my work. Writing work at this point is mostly at The Athletic. And then podcasting is all over the place, but a lot of it is with Nate Duncan. Dunked on Basketball Podcast comes out five times a week. And we're doing the NBA cast, which is our live alternate announcing for various games. We are, in fact, doing Wednesday night's Raptors-Sixers game, which is going to be really fun. We do that about once a week, and that's our plan for the regular season. Then we'll go nuts in the playoffs like we always do because we enjoy it so much. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, send it to NBA at gmail.com. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I promise that. I usually read them very quickly. I try to respond. I'm not super great about that just because the more important part is reading it, and then I start getting into my head about all the time I have, and you have to trust me. But I also do reply super late sometimes because they stay in my inbox. I have a thing for it. So I read them once and then I mark them unread and then go through it again. So trust, you can guarantee that if you take the time to write it, I will do that. And that can be, sometimes it's guest suggestions. Sometimes it's bring back this person or anything else. Don't, don't have this person, whatever it is. I, if your honest feedback is important to me, that's what makes the show better. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Mm -hmm.